A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. I'm Kave. And we're two gastroenterologists. What's a gastroenterologist? You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system. Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now? Your butt, Joe. It's your butt. Oh. Hey, everyone. It's Kave from the House of Pod. This episode was actually recorded a couple months back. We had to shelve it for a little bit because of all the coronavirus stuff we were addressing. But it's more important than ever that we do it now. It's about physician suicide. Our guest is Dr. Michael Myers. He's a psychiatrist who studied and written about this pretty extensively. You've probably already seen the headlines of doctors either committing suicide or feeling under immense amounts of stress. And if we don't find ways to address this, this problem is going to become even bigger in the future. And the first step is to talk about it. So stay tuned. It's an important episode. And as always, if you want to reach us, find us at hopquestions at gmail.com. Find us at Twitter at The House of Pod. We're also on Instagram and also on Facebook. Looking forward to hearing from you guys there. Stay tuned. To the House of Pod, I'm Kave. That was Julia Child. <laughs> this is this is Lizzie. Um, how are you, Lizzie? How are you? Uh, how are you? I'm good. Julia Child and I are, are well. She's dead, actually. Yeah, Sorry. It got dark we real quick. Probably, we should probably restart. We are going off the rails. This is like watching Trump give a press conference on windmills oh, or something. It's rough. Oh God. Um, so we actually have a guest coming up, and I guess we should give maybe a, a trigger warning. We don't do this very often, but there's going to be a lot of talk about suicide, um, and we're going to talk with a doctor, a psychiatrist, Dr. Michael Myers, not to be confused with the Michael Myers comedian or the stabby stabby horror film Michael Myers, but a great psychiatrist who studies uh, physician health and has talked and written and studied a lot about uh, physician suicide. So we're going to be talking about that. It might get a little dark at times. Um, 
in That's typical House of Pod fashion. It's mostly fact-based, so yeah. hopefully it's um, interesting. You know, there's we don't have a ton of data, but we try to keep it to the facts. It's not a tearjerker. Not, but it's. I think it's. A, I think you're gonna like it. It's I think serious. it's an important one. I think if you are in the medical field in particular, or you have a loved one who is, you definitely need to hear this episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, a shout out to our friends on Twitter uh, who have submitted questions for this episode. Please keep doing that. We'll put out um, upcoming guests so you guys can give us your questions. They're great. Thank you to uh, Rebecca Watson over at the show Quizotron. Uh, I was a guest on her show for here at uh, SF Sketchfest. That was a ton of fun. Please check out that show. It's so much fun. It's this science-based comedy uh, quiz. It's really fun. Check those people out. Stay tuned. All right, on today's show, we have Dr. Michael Myers, professor of clinical psychiatry at SUNY Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York. He's a specialist in physician health, and he's the author of the book, Why Physicians Die by Suicide, Lessons Learned from Their Families and Others Who Cared. Dr. Myers, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So, um, Dr. Myers, you're um, a specialist in caring for physicians, and as a doctor, honestly, I'm not ex exactly sure what that means. So what does that mean for you? Did you have extra training? Is this just your passion and you fell into it? Can you tell us a little bit about that background? Yes, thank you. It's a, you're right, because it is a self-designation. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll tell you where it comes from. <clears throat> is that um, I'm going to try to do this quickly. I lost my roommate to suicide when I was in medical school. Uh, and he was another medical student, and I didn't realize it at the time, but that sparked something in me that I obviously had a deep caring uh, for my colleagues in medicine because it never made sense to me why Bill killed himself. It still doesn't. When I finished my training, I always did half-time private practice and then half-time academic work for 35 years. And in those early years, I began to get increasing numbers of doctors referred to me for care. And so what I decided to do then after about 15 years, I was so busy uh, as a generalist that I decided to restrict my practice to only looking after medical students and physicians and their family members. And so that's how I ended up getting so much experience. And so it just all sort of built from that. Yeah. That's so interesting that you were driven mm -hmm. by that real experience and it's um, uh, yes. an inspiration. And yet mm -hmm. also you develop this passion and love to take care of doctors because for me, right. and I don't know if I can speak for Kaveh, but when mm. I see that someone on my patient panel is a doctor, oh, they're the worst. <laughs> I get like a little terrified <laughs> because I'm worried they're gonna. It's gonna be like an inquisition. I know, I gotcha. You know. This is why I, you know, I've taught courses on treating physicians and their family members over the years because that is a very common sort of thing for all of us who are clinicians. That it's it's a bit intimidating, you know, when the person opposite you. You know, is a physician and and so I, I so it's you know I've always enjoyed kind of helping well primary care physicians and other specialists too yeah. uh, because the, the bottom line is that I never want us as patients to fall through the cracks 
-hmm. because I really feel that, you know, we obviously deserve the same, you know, the same, um, you know, level of care or exemplary care as that same physician uh, would give to somebody who wasn't a physician. Right, right. So so starting sort of with the basics, do we have a sense of the numbers of how many physicians die by suicide every year and how it compares to the rate of the general populace? Right. So until about one year ago, um, we uh, and you probably read this all over the place that three to four hundred doctors in the United States die by suicide each year, uh, roughly a doctor a day. And many of us who write and who give lectures, that's what we've been saying. But that that none of us have really been certain where that came from. And so Dr. Christine Moutier, uh, who's a colleague and friend of mine, who is the chief medical officer of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention here in New York City, uh, and also somebody who, when she was at UC San Diego, was one of the deans there, very involved in medical student and physician well-being. They they have taken that figure off their website because, and I would agree, that we really don't know. Um, we, We don't know whether all of our efforts that we've been doing for so many years now are making a difference in terms of decreasing the numbers of doctors who die each year or whether the numbers are like suicide uh, numbers in in general you may or may not know but the cdc just released you know their annual figures for this year that yet again the overall rates of suicide in this country are continuing to go up and that's been going up now for over 20 years and we don't know and we don't know where we fall in that as physicians what I can tell you, though, is that this ain't going away. Doctors yeah. are still dying by suicide, as are medical students. So yeah. our, work is, our work is definitely not done in any sort of way. So you're saying, um, so about a doctor a day. Um, and what is your sense, or is there data so you could tell us and our listeners why that risk is higher for a physician than your average, you know, just non-medical professional? Right. Okay. So when we break that down, we we do have research on this, that our rates, for instance, of depression in both men and women in medicine are, are a little bit higher than men and women in general. Um, beyond that, though, like our rates of, and by the way, I'm talking now about the precursors, the things that, you know, can, um, can, can drive suicidal acts or behavior in doctors. So one, of course, is depression. The other is substance use disorders. And my colleagues who are trained in addiction medicine and addiction psychiatry, basically their research shows that our rates of substance use disorders are really, are really about the same as as other professionals so i don't know what to say about that the the point though is is the other thing that puts us at risk of death by suicide is the fact that we know we know how to kill ourselves one thing i wanted to share with you and people listening to this podcast um, is in my clinical work with with doctors who are my patients The ones who have built up a trusting relationship with me and will go into that dark place uh, where they will share with me their thoughts of suicide. One thing I've been struck by is the rigor with which they have given this consideration. Because they all all say the same thing, that 
if I end my life, I don't want to blow it. I've looked after too many yeah. botched attempts in my clinical practice, and I want to be very certain that the method I'm choosing is 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 going to kill me. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 scary doing that kind of work with someone, but yet at another level, I feel very privileged that they've trusted me enough. And the corollary to this, which is a good one, is that so often those doctors will say to me, "Thank you." I I. Being able to talk about with someone about this gives me hope yeah. that that maybe I will not. I'm hoping I will not have to enact this. Yeah. That that kind of working with you on this, maybe I will be able to come up with reasons to keep on living. You, you know, it's it's so funny you say that because it's just like this real pre-med competitive sort of doctor thing. Where they're like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it the best. Oh, yeah. I'm yes. going to do the suicide yeah. better than anyone's ever done yeah. suicide before. I'm going to be top of my class in suicide. It's oh, like they're overachievers sad. in everything, including mm -hmm. this. Yes. What, yeah. what yes. are you finding is the most common form of suicide by physician? Is it pills? Is it guns? What, what are they doing? It, it really varies. Um, like like there, there clearly are a cohort of physicians who use their medical knowledge uh, to, you know, to, to, you know, to complete their death by suicide. We see doctors who die, who die by gunshot injuries to their you know, to their heart or their chest or to their chest or their their brain. Or, or uh, here certainly here in New York City, we certainly see doctors, um, you know, jumping from heights, and so there, there just are sort of other other means that, that that doctors use. But what the bottom line though is, is again because of their knowledge, so many of their suicide attempts though are indeed lethal. Yeah. And 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 that's why you know in my branch of medicine and psychiatry, one of the things we always teach our medical students and residents is to take a very detailed history about a previous suicide attempt attempt because that can help you um, gauge the level of current uh, suicide risk yeah uh, with physicians though unfortunately uh, very few have a history of previous suicide attempts because they have actually died right you yeah. know by the yeah. yeah so at one part of my narrative research uh, when I was putting together the book on physician suicide and I'm continuing to do to do this is to interview doctors who did not die, who did survive near lethal suicide attempts. Yeah. And it is such a privilege for me to be able to talk with them because I'm able to learn so much uh, about, well, first of all, their mental state at that point, and then how they're feeling today. Yeah, and it reminds me of the yeah. football players who think that they had brain damage from chronic right. traumatic encephalopathy who do very deliberately shoot themselves like in the yeah. chest so that they can preserve yes. their brain. It's really remarkable how much thought people go into doing this stuff. Yeah. And then yeah, along exactly. those lines, you know, you talk about all the research and how deliberate these things are. And we have a question from one of our followers on Twitter, Pierre Dulum okay. Dulumpines, um, mm -hmm. a doctor. And he specifically mm -hmm. says, are there reliable stats or I guess any stats on which specialties have higher rates and, per you know, and perhaps maybe you could discuss why that would be because you know again the research that people are doing clearly their profession um, will inform that kind of decision 
Right. Yes, that's a very important question. What is commonly thrown around, though, um, are well, largely outdated data, but it was a very well-designed study there. But the four branches of medicine at highest risk for suicide were psychiatry, mm-hmm. anesthesio- anesthesiology, uh, primary care, and the fourth one is something there that they are, they're called community physicians. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what that job description is, but, but it was the fourth. But even if we broke those down, anesthesiologists are also more at risk, of yeah. course, of, um, of substance use disorders and right. especially opiates yeah. or opioids. So, and then, as you know, then we get into that hugely complicated dialectic of whether this was uh, an accidental overdose of fentanyl or whether or not it was intentional. And in my branch of medicine and psychiatry, uh, we think that possibly there's two things that could perhaps contribute to our risk of suicide. Uh, the, the one is whether or not there is some attraction uh, to psychiatry by individuals with with underlying conditions like in other words you've experienced maybe depression or something in medical school you've received treatment and you felt that maybe this is a branch of medicine that i would study myself etc etc um the 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 backside of that and um you people might not necessarily know about this but there's actually very high internalized stigma in psychiatrists themselves Huh. And I, and know I know I know this from looking after so many psychiatrists in my private practice who feel so ashamed or fraudulent mm-hmm. if 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 and when I have to prescribe yeah. life-saving medication for them, like an antidepressant, for instance. So then that's when I try to use the analogy with other branches of medicine, you know, where I say, well, you know, I've heard of the odd cardiologist who has an MI. Or I know an endocrinologist who's diabetic. Yeah. Uh, or uh, you know, I have a friend who's an oncologist and he's battling cancer at the moment. Yeah. So I kind of try I try to use those parallels to just to just try to diminish that internalized yeah. stigma. Um, it's a smart approach. I mean, so many doctors have at baseline imposter syndrome. They just yes. are constantly looking for a reason to doubt themselves. What better right. one is right. there than this? You know. Right. Um, yes. A follow right. up, a follow up question from someone on Twitter from Jessica Maria McCauley. She's also a doctor. She okay. it's sort of related to this. Are the numbers for suicide actually higher in trainees or am I just sensitive to it now that I'm 10 plus years out and have my head out of the sand? So is is there a difference in when is it seem to hit all areas of medical training from medical school, residency, uh, attendings? Is there anyone that's at particular risk? Ooh, that's a very big question. And, and I don't, again, I don't have a, I don't have a good answer to that. Um, we, we, we worry that some of the deaths of medical students, for instance, are, are, have something to do with their age. Like, in other words, we know from general suicidology research and studies that there, that, you know, that, that the rate of death by suicide in college age populations, and that goes up to about the age of 25, are higher, and then they drop a bit. So picture, you know, picture a young medical student, um, maybe not so much here in the United States, but certainly um, my research that has extended to both the UK and Australia 
Whereas, you know, people go into medicine right after high school there. In fact, I can explain that uh, because I've been working uh, with a very sad situation of a family in England uh, where their young daughter died by suicide. And she had been she had been diagnosed originally with depression and then more latterly um, bipolar illness. It was just so hard for her to accept at such a young age that she you know, had bipolar illness. And even though she was well-treated, you know, she just had so many catastrophic fears sort of about her future. I mean, they were professional. Will I be able to, you know, pursue my career in pediatrics? Or, you know, are, you know, am I going to be able to get married? Am I going to be able to have children? Uh, As I listened to the story when I interviewed both of her parents, it just seemed so sad to me that, if she had been able to kind of get through this period of time, I think that she would have lived. You know, she would not have taken her life. I'm reminded, by the way, and you people may be familiar with the fine work of Dr. K. Redfield Jameson, the psychologist who lives with bipolar illness. And she said the same thing about herself, that when she was young, when it was first diagnosed in graduate school, it was so hard for her to really accept the diagnosis. Then she got through it and got a bit older and she became you know, a better patient and would stay you know, on medication and everything. Then she could accept the fact that, you know what, I can have a good life yeah. with this. Yeah. But, you know, but that takes a certain level of maturity. And when you're in training, you know, it's so competitive. Yeah. And this is why, of course, we have to we have to keep fighting the the external stigma that exists in medicine and to make sure that people who are struggling with these things um, who are in training, that they that they they have to be reassured that there's a place for them. You know, just hang in there. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll get through this. Um and what I like to do, and I've done this in the past, I've introduced some with with HIPAA um, um, guidelines, but I've introduced a young patient of mine newly diagnosed with depression or bipolar illness to an older physician patient of mine who is living with one or both one of the other of those illnesses. Yeah. And that older person then can can I can kind of be a a, a mentor or role model that that you know there is a life in medicine uh, for you and you can you can live with these illnesses and you can be properly treated and you can be you know a very good researcher or clinician or whatever it might be yeah well that's a good technique it sounds like that would that would make a lot of sense and with yes. what you said also is that psychiatrists are kind of embarrassed to admit to other psychiatrists that they are struggling mm -hmm. with depression yeah. or thoughts of suicide yeah. And Kaveh mentioned earlier that, you know, as doctors, we want to be the best at everything, um, right. you know, including, right. unfortunately, completion, compl suicide to completion. Um, yeah. But what do you think, I mean, either in your research or just what you think, you know, why is it that physicians seek help less often than non-physicians? Or do you think that that's not true? Because there's clearly a bravado and you know, yes. an intelligence yeah. kind of yeah. arrogance, so that, maybe. What, what you've said is just so very important. Um, f first of all, one of the things that uh, that I found most chilling uh, in the, the 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 interviews that I've been doing with bereaved family members, I found that roughly 10 to 15 percent of the families I've interviewed who lost a loved a physician loved one to suicide, 
their their loved one sought no care at all. Right. And so, in other words, they've gone from wellness to illness to death. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that breaks my heart. It really does. I mean, I've been working in psychiatry for decades to think that there are doctors, some of whom are dying of treatable illnesses. I, I have a lot of friends who are oncologists. I've asked them, I said, have you ever heard of a doctor diagnosed with cancer who didn't go to an oncologist at least once, right. you know, for, yeah. for an opinion or something? Yeah. They may have rejected, you know, chemotherapy or radiation or whatever. Right, right. But but they got but seen. No. They but at they, some point but, they were but seen. At least they went forward with helping to yeah. think that our culture. Well, first of all, there's the internalized stuff that we own. But then our culture is such that they're terrified that they won't be able to maybe get through their residency or they won't be able to keep their job. Right. They're going to get. They're not going to be able to get their li- their medical license. They're not going to be able to get that license renewed. They're not going to be able to get credentialing. They're they're not going to be able to get malpractice insurance, or, or or things like that. And I know that some of those fears are are unrealistic, but yet there's there's a, a grain of truth in in those things. And those barriers are the things that many of us have been fighting. For instance, like to to modernize and uh, make acceptable the questions that are asked on on credentialing applications and medical licensing applications. Uh, Because, you know, I'm fortunate to work in a state, there are about a dozen states, where when we take out a medical license or renew our license in New York, there are no questions asked at all about our health. Whereas many many other states, not only do they ask draconian questions, but those questions violate the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah. You know, so basically what we're recommending for those states is a question something like this. Are you currently suffering from any illness that could affect your ability to practice um, safe and competent medicine? If so, please explain. All right. And then they would have to do that. But at least it first of all, it doesn't partition off something in psychiatry or substance use disorder. That's the one thing. Secondly, it's current. And so, in other words, you could have sought help in the past or whatever, that kind of thing. You're fine now. You don't need to say yes to that question. And so, I mean, that's just one example of fairness. Um, And so that people don't need to be terrified to go to get treatment. I, I think the other thing we have to change, of course, and this is where I'm looking to today's medical students and residents, because many of them are writing first person accounts of things that they've struggled with. And they use the term vulnerabilities. You say, why can't we talk about our vulnerabilities in medicine? You know, why is there's why is there this emphasis always on perfectionism and always being, you know, the best? So so, so we have um a couple we have a couple of voicemails here actually for okay. you, questions for you um mm-hmm. the first one is going to come from uh quadro who is the host of a podcast in canada that we really like called solving healthcare it's sort of like uh, a sister podcast to this show uh-huh. and he has a question for you here so let me okay. play this for you hi guys this is quadro caramanting of the Solving Healthcare podcast, and first of all, I want to say thank you for tackling such an important issue. Uh, Second, my question is, with the increase in burnout and moral distress we're seeing amongst clinicians, 
is that translating to increased suicide attempts or ideation or actual suicides amongst us? Um, I really, I think that's an important uh, question. The other thing is, any advice to help manage um, the moral distress and the and the burnout that we're seeing and um, amongst amongst clinicians? I think that would be um, really interesting to to hear your perspective on that. And okay. last thing I want to say is House of Pod, y'all are killing it. Super awesome podcast. I know up in Canada, we're, more and more of us are engaging in this show. We love what you're doing. You all stay fresh <laughs> and dynamic. All right, Pete. That's very sweet. Yeah, I love that guy. Again, I don't think we have hard data on this, but as far as I'm concerned, it can't help but do that. Yeah. Because as far as we know, the rates of burnout I mean, I read some articles that they're roughly the same, you know, and I know it varies with specialty. Uh, Every so often you'll see an update that, oh, burnout, it seems to be decreasing in this group and that, which is great. Um, But, and I do like the new terminology of moral injury. I think it really fits. And again, it gets away from that fear that people have that we're blaming doctors themselves when this is clearly a systems problem. Right. Okay. So that's what I mean. It can't help but 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 you know put people at risk in psychiatry that, or mental health. The thing that we don't want to miss uh, is um, is an unrecognized, undiagnosed, and untreated uh, illness like depression and anxiety disorder, PTSD, substance use disorder, things like that. That we want to make a clear diagnosis and treat. Yeah. Because, you know, because uh, with burnout, you know, the approach is really, really quite different. It's more of a systems approach or, you know, sort of, you know, milder things. That That is his other question. And this is really important for yeah. everyone yeah. to hear, you know, is there any advice to help manage moral distress and yeah. this burnout? Whether whatever you call burnout, we all know what right. it is. That's the end of the day when you just can't handle one more task right. and when you yeah. do handle that task we've talked about it before on the show you probably make worse decisions because you're not mm-hmm. feeling the energy to use your brain and to you and to call your colleagues and ask for help you just make right. you That's order right. that fifth cat scan that 10th cat scan you make the easy decision and that might not be yeah. the right one yes that's right what i say to that is this as everybody knows i think in medicine in the u.s there are massive efforts going on systemically in this country there's work being done however again people on the front line say well that's all fine and good but you know you know i need to do something right now or i need immediate changes and so when we can get changes occurring right in the medical center itself and this is why the ones for instance who have dedicated funds for the quote-unquote chief wellness officer those are new, you know, new positions, new job descriptions that are overseeing all of that moral injury in so many health workers. That's all good as well, but not all places have that. So with that, then it boils down to the actual program and what is actually being done there. Is there anything there that's being done to, um, you know, make this a more humanistic place to train, to work? Yeah. And again, there are a lot of recommendations there, too. And, you know, at the end of the day, we know that burnout is basically the result of individuals feeling that they have no personal agency, that they have no voice. They're a cog in the wheel. 
and that nobody gives a shit about them. Pardon my language. And so when you got that stuff going on, that's what has to change because for too long, doctors have been treated as, as workhorses and you know, that isn't working. You know, like there's too many doctors who have gotten sick or too many doctors who have died. And so that's why, you know, but as you probably know, people are cynical though about recommendations like yoga um, meditation, ice cream socials. People yeah. uh, have researched that, that if you give a doctor a couple hours of free time, you think that they're going to be happy and healthy, but really what they end up doing is their inbox and their computer work when uh-huh. you do need to force kind of what you're saying, like social um, time with other doctors to and your colleagues yes. to form connections. Right. We right. have we have Joe. Joe is has called in a question. We would like to... Mm-hmm have Joe participate because we miss him when he's not here. And these are always either diamonds or cow patties. Or really rough. We're going to play that for everyone now. Okay. Okay. Oh, hi, Dr. Myers. Um, I've read several articles online about you and your approach to preventing physician suicide. It's interesting that most of these deaths are a result of multiple psychological uh, factors happening at once. One factor I did not see much discussion on was regarding negative patient outcomes. As a non-doctor, I have to believe that every physician throughout their career will have patients who they who have a bad outcome, where something they did could have been done better, leading to self-regret. Um, do you do you see this as a major driver of physician suicide as well? And if so, how does a physician mentally deal with it uh, a bad outcome successfully? Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks a lot. Wow, that was a really, okay. really good okay. question, Joe. So, for example, he's saying basically if a, if physicians are having throughout their career, they're going to have some bad outcomes where they feel they could have done something better. They have right. some regret. Do you see that as a major driver of physician suicide as well? And and if so, how does how does one deal with it successfully? That's a yeah, that good. is a great question. And I would like to add on to that. Even if you're a perfect doctor, there's going to be, for example, a lawsuit. So that's even if you've done nothing wrong. You feel accused. You feel guilty. Yes. Okay. That's a very good question, um, and it's layered. Um, but even if you, even when and if a doctor is not sued, though, just that sort of sense of that internal sense of making a mistake or error, wrongdoing, uh, can be very hard, you know, on 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 the individual. There's two. There's two things I want to mention there. One is our one is our respective personalities. We vary a lot on a continuum as to how we can kind of cope with those kinds of things that are a part of our careers in medicine, that to err is human, that sort of thing. And so many of us are somewhere in the middle, you know, where of course you feel that, but yet you, you talk with others, uh, you grow through the experience and you get through it. At, at the other end are those individuals where, yeah, that all helps, but it isn't quite enough. And so that's when an individual can really benefit from actually talking with someone about that, a therapist of some sort. And you can feel a lot better, you know, with, you know, with that kind of care. The other thing, too, that I've noticed, too, I've looked after doctors, and I'll never forget looking after an OBGYN person who came to me after his fifth lawsuit. And he said, you know, I've coped pretty well with the other four. I've got good legal counsel, et cetera, et cetera. But I am really caving 
with this one. There wasn't really anything particularly different, and it wasn't because this was number five. It had more to do with other stuff going on in his life that were also, as he said, you know, I'm pretty wobbly these days in what it was. He was living with some pretty serious marital difficulties. Uh, He had concerns about one of his teenage uh, kids, and his father was dying. And so, like, there was a lot of stuff going on in his life that was was affecting his overall, just his overall resilience. He was being especially hard on himself. Uh, and, and even he could see that, that he said, you know, normally, you know, I just don't beat myself up quite as much. But anyway, I was able to help him just through some very good psychotherapy, and he re- required a low dose of an antidepressant medication, and he got th- he got through this fine. Yeah. yeah. When or if, you know, you're dealing with something that just doesn't seem to be going away, and it's really you're beginning to ruminate on it, you're having trouble sleeping or something like that, go talk with someone. It can just be so very helpful because these are major assaults. You know, you know the you know these things in medicine. You know, a bad patient outcome. You know, unexpected death of a patient or worsening of a patient. In my branch of medicine, it's losing a patient to suicide, things like that. Um, go talk with someone. It, it it can be so helpful and at times life-saving. Yeah. That's great advice. That's great advice. That is, I think, okay. a great take-home for okay. all our listeners, mm-hmm. particularly our listeners who are in the medical profession. Mm-hmm. I think you've given them a lot and us a lot to sort of keep in mind and hopefully oh, spread you. amongst um, ourselves, you know, in the medical world. And I'm sure a lot of this goes for our friends in the nursing uh, world as well. Yeah. So thank mm-hmm. thank you so much. Um, a couple of questions. Uh, where mm-hmm. can, where can people find you? Okay, so uh, the best place is through my website www.michaelfmyers.com, um, and I've got a lot of resources, uh, you know, on that website, and you know, links to podcasts that I've done, or I continue to do, or you know, articles that I've published, and you know, a lot of our can easily be accessed online and downloadable and stuff like that. That's probably probably the best. And people uh, can also find yeah. your your book on Amazon.com for sure. And I'm assuming they can also get it from that same website. Uh, yes. Well, yeah. again, thank you so much. I, I can't stress how okay. important this is. Well. Um, I'm very to grateful discuss. to the. I mean, I'm so I'm so glad for you know for the work that you're doing because I think it's it's so important to you know to get these messages out there. Yeah, and I have a feeling this probably won't be the last time we cover this field. So, what's is this there question? like um like a phone number or a hotline that you would recommend if somebody was listening right now and was struggling? Like, is there any sort of kind of emergency, oh, yes, urgent of resource we the can plug? The best one, of course, is the. Um, Suicide Resource Center, and it's 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K. 1-800-273-TALK? Yes, T-A-L-K. Okay, yeah, we'll definitely post a link to that. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Okay, and thanks for both of you. Keep up the good work. Thank you. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.